because you're jumping back into the gut. Oh, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Excited to welcome Tennessee head coach Kelly Harper to the Basketball Podcast. Coach Harper is one of only two coaches to guide four different programs to the NCAA tournament. In 18 complete years as Division I head coach, Harper has led her teams to a 348-235 record and 14 postseason appearances through the 2021-22 campaign. She's piloted her squads to 14 top three league finishes and four conference tourney titles along the way. And in 2021-22, she got intensity to the NCAA Sweet 16. Harper was a point guard for the legendary Pat Summit at the University of Tennessee from 1995 to 99, playing 132 games and piloting the Lady Vols to three NCAA national championships. Coach Harper, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Looking forward to talking to you about so many things. And uh, definitely one of the unique things which I shared in the intro is that you're one of only two coaches to guide four different programs to the NCAA tournament. And I'm curious, uh, what were some of the benefits and some of the lessons from that experience of having coached at uh, four different schools and had such great success? Well, I think it's I think each place is different. And I think for for me and for my staffs, we were able to go in and figure out what was going to work and um, what was going to work quickly. Uh, but, you know, building it for the, for the long haul. Um, and I think for us, um, you know, the, the right people is, is the most important thing. And that's your staff and your coaches, um, but also your team and bringing in the right people. Um, and I think we've, we've done a good job each where we've been, getting the right fit. And I think the, the more you're in this, the, the longer you coach, you realize um, that the fit of getting the right people around you is about as important as anything you could do. So obviously tremendously strong influences from Pat Summit and the success you had there as a player, but I'm curious more from the perspective of you as a head coach at Western Carolina to now at Tennessee, what do you think some of the things that have really changed for you have been? Oh, wow. Um, when I became a head coach, I was 26. I was the youngest head coach in the country at the time. And I had no idea what I didn't know. Right. You know, it was um, one of those things that I was um, I was excited uh, about the opportunity. But I, I also understood I needed to learn and I needed to, to really try to figure things out. And that that first year uh, as, a, as a head coach was it was tough. I mean, you're, you're dealing with so many things that you had no idea you're going to deal with. Um, and then you kind of mentioned going to being at four different schools. You do the same thing every time you're a new coach. Every single time you're a new coach, you're doing the same thing. You're you're going through a complete yearly cycle at your new program to figure out all the nuances at that school and um, how things are run. So it's it's definitely um, those, those first years are, are always um, I don't want to say difficult. They're just challenging in a, in a different way. You have to get settled and it takes about a full cycle, which is a year to get settled. Absolutely. And playing for such a successful head coach like Coach Summit, uh, did you find that you had to find your own voice in some of those first few years as well? Because obviously you could reflect on so many amazing experiences having played for her. Yeah, I think um, 
I think early on, I knew I needed to be me. I wasn't trying to be anyone else. And, and I think that was really good for my career to start my career with that understanding. And, you know, look, I can't try to be someone else. I can't model me after someone else. You know, I can learn from other people, but, I, but I've got to be me. And I think that's the, um, the authenticity that, that our players were able to see early on. We are who we are good, bad, or indifferent. We are who we are and we are who we are every single day. It's the same. And, um, you know, I think when you're, if you're trying to be someone else or trying to be like someone else, I think that's where you find some inconsistencies because it's not genuine. It's not you. And, um, you know, I think I, I knew that early on, um, obviously having played for bad, you want to take those things. You want to, um, share the the experiences that you had. Um, uh, you want people to understand what that was like, and, and you want to share what you learned. To be honest with you, and, and I think I was able to do that as well. Well, you definitely have, and being you has been pretty darn good, Coach. So uh, keep doing it. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about defense. Uh, definitely incredible success on the defensive end of the floor uh, in your early years with Tennessee here, and. Uh, uh, let's start maybe with your philosophy of keeping the ball on the side. Can you explain why that's part of your philosophy? Yeah, let's go back to Pat Summit, actually. <laughs> um, so, so I think, you know, there, there are systems. You have to have a system that fits you as a person. And then um, one thing that we like to do, um, and some of this is in theory, you probably watched us play, like, wait a minute, they didn't do that. <laughs> may not have always executed it right, but you know, in theory, if and I'll go back to my time at Tennessee, if we can keep the ball on one side of the court, it makes things a little less predictable for the defense because the offense has the advantage. Offense knows where they're going. So the defense is, uh, in theory, one step behind. And if you can find ways defensively to make the game a little bit more predictable on that end of the court, it is to your advantage. And one of the ways that um, we we want to do that is keeping the ball on one side. Keep it on one side. Then we don't have to worry about um, free-flowing ball reversals, um, you know, and, and, and that, that opens up the court. I think it, your help side defense, you're, you can be a little bit more consistent with your help side if you know where that help side needs to happen. I love that explanation. That's one of the better explanations I've heard, Coach. So, uh, so basically, let the ball go to the wing, and then from there, deny the reversal or deny the movement from the ball for to the other side of the floor. What are some of the nuances that maybe we don't think about as as coaches thinking about this type of system? Yeah, you know, I used to deny the wing, and um, used to get out and deny, and and we still may do that some. Uh, some situational but, denial. Yeah, I think so. And in some the situation, actually, I think is not necessarily game, but maybe personnel. So here in the past, maybe that didn't suit us, but maybe it does moving forward, you know. But I think theoretically, if you want the ball on the side of the court, denying the wing doesn't make sense. You want it over there. So that's where we started opening up, um, kind of playing a little bit of gaps when the ball was at the top of the key playing the gaps because we don't like it up there. Let's get it out of that area. And then when we get it there, keep it there. Um, if they're, if the ball's on the wing and they're, you're guarding a man in the corner, we're okay with it going to the corner. 
So we'll open up and, and give uh, a lot of gap help there. And when it goes to the corner, again, we're supposed to deny that reversal, deny it back out to the wing. Um, one, one reason that we denied hard at Tennessee when I played here and one reason that we continue to want to deny the high post, we front the low post. And, you, you know, a lot of people question that. We're one of the very few teams at our level that do front the post. Um, a lot of people question, I mean, we've got a six, seven post player that's the leading, she leads the nation in blocks. So why not put her behind and make people score over? Um, I, I would just prefer them not throw it in there. I think it breaks down our defense when the ball comes inside. We don't want it in the paint. And if there's a post touch, that's going to be in the paint. Now, you, are you helping in? Is she going one-on-one? She probably get foul trouble. I mean, there's too many things I don't like. So we front the low block. Therefore, we need to deny the high post so you don't have an easy high-low opportunity um, to get the ball to get the ball inside. Now, that's not – people don't work on that because no one sees a front. I, I mean, no one sees it anymore, so they don't really work on a lot of high-low situations um, unless you're playing Tennessee. So that's, uh, that's one of the things that, that we do. That's great. That kind of disrupts their week of practice in a sense, preparing for you, just like if you're playing against a team that presses and you're never pressed. You know, that type of thing. That's great. Uh, Coach, just a quick question about fronting the post. Then you talked about your six, seven player. Do you try and get her off the ball in terms of matchups a little bit more than, say, covering the dominant post on the opponent team? So she's coming from help a little bit. Well, typically what the the matchups that we play, we are very lucky to see a post Mm. one post. We are very lucky if we see one post and she is going to guard the post, whoever that is. And uh, now she can guard out on the floor, but my goodness, why would I want a rim protector outside the paint? So we want to find ways to put to get keep her in the paint. Philosophically, for us, um, she has changed some things for us while my my tenure here at Tennessee. I've adjusted a few things, made some tweaks to fit our system or to fit our personnel here. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, six, seven center that changes the complexion of the game. Um, it's not, obviously it's nice. Their offenses that come in, their game plans are very different when they show up to play us because of her. Yeah. When I was a college coach, we used to front the post too, but we, we used to chest front coach. I'm curious, do you butt front or do you chest front? We butt front. Well, so we'll push down. So the ball, if the ball is above the free throw line extended, wherever that is, then we want a high side and push down. And when I tell our players, that is not a position. That is an action. So you're not just there. You are literally physically moving them because it's going to be a lot easier for us if we can keep them from riding us up the lane. Um, so you're physically pushing down and then step, in through, step through to front. It's work. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work, especially if there's great ball movement on the offensive end, which is why then that goes back to it's a system. You've got to have ball pressure. You've got to deny some passes to help your post defense as well. So it all, you can't have one piece without the other in our system. Well, agreed. And you already referenced denying the high-low pass, which is so key to be able to, even if it goes high, it's going to go higher. So the pass is harder. And then also it gives your post more time to recover back to the inside. And I imagine in that scenario, then the help comes from the wing in terms of the post entry to take away space. Yeah, if that happens, um, then depending on if there's a corner 
Um, you know, from the weak side, if we could get there, we will. It's hard to come off strong side. So if they're looking in, in our game, I mean, so many people can shoot the ball. So, you know, you can't really cover two there. So we just want our post to be extremely physical. Uh, if the ball comes to a high post area, really getting into them and pushing them down and trying to make it a late deflection. Um, the other thing is if you do give that up, if you being the other the other position, if they catch in good position to make the high low, then you've got to at least disrupt or delay that pass. Uh, you've got to get a tip. You've got to at least make it not a perfect pass. And to be honest with you, we we were hurt very few times with a high low. And I think a lot of it is people don't see the front. And I think one of the skills in our game that is the least developed is the passing. I think very few um, teams, therefore players, are instinctually good passers. And um, the ones that are, their offense is a lot more efficient, you can see. Yeah, the psychology of that is really important. And a lot of teams would, who would force weekend, for example, are forcing weekend because it's harder to pass going to your weekend. Same concept here. You're almost daring them to throw the high-low because they're not probably good at it, are they? Well, they've got to go over their man, over our man, but under the under the rim or under the backboard without throwing it out of bounds. And then they've got to be able to then catch and finish. And although uh, I think there are there are some teams that if we're if we're gonna play some teams, then that is a major league concern because there are some very good teams that can make that look like a Beautiful, easy, seamless play. But then again, there are some teams that that's not going to be the easiest play for them to make. So, so with that, is there an adjustment coach that you go to, or is it just a case of we're going to do what we do? Well, I think there's more of an emphasis. You know, as things go, things slide. The the longer you go, things slide. And you know, one of the, if you're playing against a team that can. You know, make great passes and quick passes, and and cut cut you up and seal and do those type things. Then your emphasis has to be more on the denial. I think you have to go harder there, and that's where um, there has to be a little bit more accountability and ownership. Now, the um, it, you know, like I said, I think each team you you find different uh, different points of emphasis for for their offense when you're when you're guarding. Well, I love that. I mean, mostly the adjustment, which a lot of fans don't understand, is not to do something different. It's to do what you do better, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It truly is. And it's so funny because I'll come after the game, after games, I'll go to press. Oh, my goodness. What did you, what changes did you make at halftime? I'm like, huh? You know, you know, they you want something <laughs> Oh, we, we changed our coach. No, actually, we just reviewed. Hey, remember, we got to be better at this. And you know, so it's uh, you're you're right. Uh, a you, you have uh, we go into every game with Plan B and a Plan C. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but we're gonna go with Plan A and then try Plan A again before we move on. I love that. And uh, another advantage of fronting the post is potentially quicker to the help in terms of covering baseline drives and you're forcing baseline. So more less so the help. Re responsibility on the initial, but more on the cover down responsibilities. Can you talk about the responsibilities to be able to cover the post check when the post has to help on drive? Yeah, a lot of times. So if there is a, st a strong side post and there's a baseline drive, mm -hmm. that post, and honestly, if they're weak side too, we want them to be that first line and we don't want them to step out 
onto the baseline because that would be essentially helping up and we don't want to help up and open up, you know, the dish. Um, so we just one step off the, off the lane is where we'll help. And a lot of times the action that we're going to have to then defend is an eye cut. So that post sliding up the lane. Well, what we found is um, to teach our perimeter players as that ball drives baseline, we have to flood down. So we all flood down towards the ball. And that eye cut should be a steal or a deflection from one of our perimeter players flooding towards the ball on the drive. So hopefully then we'll take care of that. Now on the weak side, we'll have um, help side. We call it a rail from rim to rim. We call that our rail. So our help side is on the rail. Um, We had to actually, a little bit off subject, we actually had to move our rail a little bit when they moved the three-point line back because being splitting the rail, so right in the center of the court, getting out to the three-point line, that extra step was a long way. So our help side now is a foot or two feet in the paint, depending on where the ball is. And so we try to get them as low as the ball to help take away any baseline passes, um, but also any any cuts or anybody that's now on the weak side block. Hey, Coach. I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a product I love and have used with my teams and now with my daughters in our backyard. Dr. Dish. Use promo code IMMERSION for exclusive savings on any of the machines. Dr. Dish Basketball is accelerating player performance with the most innovative game-like training solution available, allowing coaches and players to get better faster than ever before. By providing the most usable and advanced shooting machines, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball has become the preferred source for basketball training with progressive coaches and players. A reminder, use promo code IMMERSION for exclusive savings on any of the machines. I love that. I love that subtlety that you just mentioned because that's such an important part of modern defense is that, and we used to call it in and out instead of the I because we'd have one player in and one player out. Now, the reason we did that was Xing out the weak side too. Are you an X out team on the weak side? We typically don't, um, but I think there are some times that if they're just playing basketball it makes sense and we'll talk about those times so we don't necessarily teach it as our action this is what we're going to do um we scramble out and uh quick quickest person's got to get there and then we talk about at some point if we're in a scramble situation it doesn't it doesn't matter about matchups it's five people guard five people whoever that is we can figure out the matchups later but um, we want to try to scramble. That's going to require communication. And we have some pretty good drills, I think, to help with that, um, to get them to understand, you know, just the feel, uh, the making decisions that make sense. But also, if you communicate those decisions, even if they're wrong, you two do them, it's, it's probably going to work. If the, if the people are all on the same page, it'll probably work. That's great. Coach, this is why I love this podcast. We just spent about 10 minutes on post-fronting and uh, (laughs) that's not being talked about a lot anymore. So brilliant. Thank you. Uh, I I don't really want to go away completely, but uh, when when it is a weak side post and uh, you say the player at the rim has to help, are you trying to bump back in terms of matchups then after the ball's kicked? Yeah, we will try to keep our post low. Um, There will be times, I, I tell you, this is an adjustment for us. So let's say the ball's on the right wing 
and you got a low post on the left side. If this is a post that is really good at ducking in and can really get after us and they're going to feed the post a lot from the top of the key, or if we're going to have a harder time fronting this post, we will not, if the, if the ball is um, below the free throw line, we won't even come off of that post. Mm-hmm. So we'll stay locked up to her. That my our weak side, if she's our low rail, which is where our first line of defense on a baseline drive, if if she's our low rail, she's got a little bit more room to work I and mean, she's got to go. Or we'll bring a, a perimeter player from the weak side to be low rail and she can go. And that keeps our post attached. Um, so you now, turn that into a four on four rotation instead of a five on five rotation, basically. Most of the time, yes. Yeah. Yes, That's awesome. Okay. Because I, we've not had to do it an awful lot um, here. It, it's not hurt us a lot here. Um, but my time at Missouri State, I feel like we had to do that quite a bit. We had to stay attached to the post. That That's not something that we're going to practice in November. That's something yeah. we're going to practice the week of. You know, that's and um, it's it doesn't take a lot of um, technique differences, to be honest with you, because you were always working on pushing down anyway. It just just getting in your head. Remember what we're doing. You know, you can't come off of her because she's going to get you on the duck end. Yeah, it's good. And, and a lot of teams obviously practice four on four rotations a lot anyways. So it's not that big an adjustment in that sense. And I'm imagining, again, the main reason is to keep size on size too, uh, in terms of offensive rebounding, defensive rebounding, et cetera. Yeah. Um, it, it will allow you instead of the other, I guess the other reason we've done that is if our posts are not affecting that drive, if the drive is happening and the posts are not affecting that drive and there's an extra pass and dish down, you know, so it allows us to change up our, our rotations that way. Uh, but the majority of it, the reasoning is being from the top of the key post entries, um, positioning uh, against really good post players. Talk to us a little bit about uh, keeping the ball on the side in terms of on the ball defense, because obviously that's a big part too, not allowing it middle. Yeah. So uh, to me, a lot of that is your stance. Um, we don't want to let them go to the baseline, but you're not going to the middle. You know, challenge so, for all of us, coach. <laughs> I know. Right. So I remember as a player, I, I was worried that my defense wasn't good enough, but if I only had to keep them on one side of the floor, I could do that. You know, I feel like that's something you should be able to do. It's a little easier said than done, I get. Um, but you've got to get it in your head that if they go baseline, you're okay. Everything is okay. And I think that is, um, that's a hurdle, I think, uh, you know, mentally, uh, but also habitually for, for players that, that have never played the system. So what we do, we'll close. If, you, if you're on a closeout, you've got to close out straight line to the drive. You, you can't can't take away high and let them just go right at the basket. So you want to close out straight line and then shift into a stance. And what we like to do, we like to go basically high shoulder on high shoulder and our feet are parallel to the sideline. So we're not opened up. Players want to drop that bottom foot. You're not forcing them baseline. You're just taking away the middle. And I think that terminology has helped throughout the years. Um, you know, make them go baseline sounds like, okay, beat me, <laughs> you know, but don't get baseline, but you can't let them go this way, you know? And I think um, the more they do it, uh, you, you just, 
we have to rep that. I mean, we have to rep the stance a lot um, because it, it's it's something that's not natural to most kids. Well, and it's almost almost uh, I don't know, I don't want to say a crutch, but because you're probably so good in help, your players become, I guess, reliant or complacent somewhat that they know they're always getting help, right? Have you ever done anything to counter that? Like, say, play four and four, no help or something like that in practice? Well, I'll tell you what I had to do one year. We got so bad at it um, that we quit guarding, mm-hmm. completely quit guarding. And I had to adjust my system a little bit for uh, for a year or two where we, you know what, just square up and guard, just square up and guard because we were getting torched. People were driving baseline and coming back to the middle on us because we were playing no defense. Mm-hmm. We just had to kind of change up our, our defensive system there. Uh, um, yeah, the, the we taught we do some drills where we'll tell them you can't get beat middle, but we'll also challenge them. Don't get beat. Don't get beat. Guard. If you can guard, then we're going to be much better off. And so we we try to challenge them um, to to really guard, and that's a mindset. That's a, you know, players have to understand they can get down and guard um, and they can do it. They can take away a couple of different things. It's okay. Um, we've gotten better at that. And I think it's a lot of that's just up there. No doubt. And uh, you, you said a subtlety and I want to make sure coaches hear that one. When you talked about closing out, you're not forcing a side on a closeout. You're closing out to keep the ball in front or to defend the personnel. And then you're going to shift. Uh, on that shift, they need to get square to the sideline is the goal, right? Yeah, squared to the sideline. And, you know, the the boards on the court run parallel to the sideline. And so we tell them that, you know, mm-hmm. toe, toes should be even on a board. Pick a board. There's where your toes should be, you know, to help them with their stance and know where that is. That way they're not opened up. And then the other thing, they have to get high enough that's shoulder to shoulder. So they feel like they may get beat baseline, but they're not. They're, they're going to be okay. Um, we're just going to take away. You're there to take away that first drive. And then slide up, and then you got to go ball pressure because um, the way everything is built, we're really good with our help side defense. But if we don't have ball pressure, then skips are open, or then it's easier to not that many people complete this pass, but then they might lob it to the high post. I mean, to the low post, and then they might be able to see the high post easier. So the ball pressure is a, also a huge part. I don't think we've been – that's something I don't think we've been great at. Um, we we were much better this year. We got a lot better. And um, one thing that we were able to do is just use our size. We we were really big um, for the first two years here. And, you know, when you got a 6'2 guard on you on the wing, they don't have to be all over. You can't see anyway, right? So I, I think one thing that we've done is taken our system – and tweaked it and modified it to fit our personnel. We don't change it, but you know, you you want to make sure that it matches. And uh, but but it's something also that you believe in. So you got to find that happy medium. That's great. I love that detail you shared about the boards. But I'm wondering, are your opponents going to now change all their floors so the boards face the other direction? <laughs> <Right. laughs> can can well, they get that done just the week of your well, game? Well, I'm telling. If our defense is that good that they're con- they're considering changing the boards, then I think we're in good shape. That's a good compliment, isn't it? <laughs> Let's talk about on top, Coach. Uh, is it on the line, up the line type of denial with a little bit of space, or is it more of a top block where you're tighter in denial? Yeah, we try to get them on line, up the line. Um, I think what ends up happening is you're you're end up more locked up with them because um, 
the majority of the time when you're denying it, you're denying from someone who made the cut into that area. And I think when people come cutting, I think you naturally are ready to bump the cutter. You're, you're, you're want to deny. So I think you're going to be a little tighter to them, which in, in reality is okay because there should not be middle penetration. So you, you, you don't have to be in a gap to show that middle penetration um, help because it shouldn't happen at all. Um, and, and then that, therefore, if you are locked up with them and denying tight, it shouldn't be a problem. Um, it's always fun when the players, uh, somebody will get beat middle and player walks up. Am I supposed to help there? Mm. You know, what, what do you, I said, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't teach that. So <laughs> y'all figure out that one's on y'all. If, if the ball goes in the middle, I don't know what to tell you because right. I the ball can't go to the middle, you know? So kind of one of those things you reiterate a little sarcastically. <laughs> I love that. And uh, one of my coaching mentors, Joe Razzo, who uh, was big on this deny it back to the top, one of his rationales was because there's less space for the back door cut off the top too. And I'm imagining that's the case with what you're doing too. There's just far less opportunities for teams to be able to run backdoor plays to the top, aren't there? Well, yes. I think rarely do you have that weak side cleared out for a backdoor cut up there. And so we talk about our people being on the rail. You're not, this is my favorite, one of my favorite things to say, you're not there to look pretty. You're not there because I told you to be there. Well, great job standing in the right spot. You're there to make a play. So if your teammate gets beat on a backdoor cut, well, that's you. Get a steal. Make a charge. Be there. Um, Don't just be, hey, I got my man breaking your neck to watch everybody else. No, be active. And I think our defense is a lot better when, the people off the ball are looking to make plays. I think sometimes, um, you know, it's easy to say, I got, I, I've done my job. And especially if you've done it, if you're in a system, right. You know, my, I'm, I'm just supposed to deny here, or I'm just supposed to front or I'm, but Hey, if you could make a play and while being where you're supposed to be, let's make a play while you're there, you know? And so that's, we, we try to talk, teach that as well. Let your instincts, we don't want to be so robotic in our system that we don't let our instincts take over. You referenced aggression and uh, I texted some of your assistants in your league and that was a word that came, shone through. And I'm curious, where do you get the impression that your opponent would feel that you're super aggressive? I don't know. Cause as yeah. a coach, I'm not, not yeah. satisfied with that. Curious game. question after you, you said know, that. Um, I, but I'll tell you what, years ago, um, when I left Western Carolina and um, I was talking to a coach who I admired her defense. I mean, just loved the defense, thought they were so tough and so physical and hated, hated trying to score against them. And after I got out of the league, she came up and she sat with me right recruiting and she said, your teams are so tough. And I'm like, Really? Really? And she said, you were so good on defense. And I'm like, really? And she said, you're so physical and you're so aggressive. And again, I'm just blown away because as a coach, sometimes, not sometimes, but a lot of times, I'm looking at what we don't do well. I'm looking at how we can be better. And I want to do this more and this more and this more. And you forget sometimes to look at what we do well and to be able to accept, hey, we are pretty good at this. And um, I think that's one of the things that I feel like oh, it could be more. I really think it could be more. But I think, you know, I think our size and our athleticism allows that, um, you know, we want to be physical. We want to want to get after it. Um, I, I don't know that we're where I want to be, 
but we're we're getting there. So that that's a compliment. It, it reminded me of something I used to do with a non-conference opponent is we used to share scouting reports. I used to find someone who would share a scout on our team before we got to our conference season to get their impression because you're absolutely right. Sometimes we don't, Oh, well, you think of us that way. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I have some folks that'll come in and watch practice and watch yeah. games and give me some of that because I think that's important. You know, I, when I, it's so funny when I can really embrace the positives is completely after the season. Mm. And so maybe like, um, in in November, we're we're going to play somebody that we played last year, and I'll go watch last year's film. And I'm like, oh, we did that well. Oh, we were good at that. Oh, I don't know if we could do that now. You know, just because I'll see the positives at that point. But um, I, I think it's I think it's important to see those things. I, I do think also um, sometimes the aggressiveness it, it looks different. So for us this year, the aggressiveness was you just didn't get anything easy. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't that we got a lot of steals. We were low in the league in steals, but your shooting percentage was low. You didn't get a lot of offensive boards, and you were just going to have to shoot over big people. That's that's or take tough shots. And we talk about that. I think there's there are a lot of different ways to philosophically to to guard. You know, you can guard to get steals. You can guard to disrupt, get deflections, and then you can guard to make things really difficult. Whether that's movement through your offense or just at the end of the day you're just not going to get a good shot we're not going to give up anything easy and that's where we've trended while we were here because of the personnel i do think that's an easy not an easy but i think that without changing my philosophy we can we can adjust that at some point if we want to go to we need more steals more deflections to be a good defensive team we can do that but right now we kind of settled in with because of our personnel settled in with, you're just not going to get a lot of easy opportunities. Would, would that be a case of once they know the system, you could just give them again, like you would do on offense. Sometimes you tell your offense, go off script, you know, the play now go off script. Yeah. Is that a yeah. Thing on defense. Yeah. You know what I did last year and I want to try to figure out how to implement it. And I, I didn't do a great job. We did it a little bit last year in, in spring workouts and summer workouts, we were guarding defensively and I told our team I don't care what you do I don't care if they make a three but I don't want them to get the ball inside like I don't want the ball to come to the paint and I'm telling you we made more steals we had more deflections because we were you know our thought process was a different kind of teaching and and that was something I just wanted to see where are we with that how could we and then how could we use that so we we did a little bit better with that um, but I think there are there are things that you can do. You can turn them loose if they have those instincts. Um, and you know, for for us, each each year is different. You know, you, every team is different every year, and you can you can figure out what you can and can't do. That's great. And uh, when the ball, if the ball does get to the top, we know it's not supposed to. So maybe it's the same answer as you said before. But when it is there, where are you influencing it a certain direction uh, in terms of that? Um, if there is someone that has really displayed a huge tendency right or left, then then we'll play dominant hand. I mean, we'll really force them weak side. Um, and, and I shouldn't say force. We we don't usually force. It's more of a shade, not right. not force. Um, because most people at our level, if we're having to do that, they're they're probably pretty good and can do either thing. Um, but we usually want them to go wide. So whichever way they're going to go, if they're going to put the ball on the floor, we want them to go wide because our gap help will, should be there 
um, outside the lane line, but you've got to get them outside the lane line. So if they catch, you've got to make them go wide. Hey, coach, I just want to let you know Basketball Immersion is proud to partner with Just Play. I had the chance to spend some time with Just Play in New Orleans at the Final Four, and I was blown away by the next level simplicity and effectiveness of this all-in-one solution for coaches to prepare faster and connect with today's players. Just Play provides an elite experience for coaches to better teach, scout, and recruit on one platform. Just Play integrates with any video editing solution to streamline how you prepare and engage your players. Sign up for a free demo, www.justplaysolutions.com forward slash bball immersion. It's great. How does this philosophy then influence what you decide to do in ball screen coverage? Let's say particularly on the wing. Yeah. So our ball screen coverage, it really starts with having post players that we want to keep home. Um, So if we can keep our big in the paint, which is to our advantage, then we want to do that. And so if uh, let's put the ball on the wing and you're up on them, you're not letting them drive um, middle. So you're up on them. We like to keep pressure and we prefer to go over a ball screen. Okay. We'll fight over a ball screen, but we don't hedge with our post. We'll have our post mirror. So as soon as our, um, as soon as our defensive post recognizes there's a screen, she moves off the post and into the ball line with the basket. And now if the, if the guard rejects the ball screen, then she's there. If the guard uses the ball screen, we just mirror. Um, and, but the rule is the post is only there to take away the layup. The guard has to get there for a jumper to contest a jumper, which is the lowest, one of the lower percentage shots in our league. Now we, we have a lot of kids that can make them, mm-hmm. um, but we're going to, you're going to have to make a few of those before we change our defense. And um, if our post stays home and it takes away the layup there, takes up there, you've lost a high percentage shot there. If they are back taking away the layup, you're probably not going to get the dish off to the post. So you're going to have to take a jump shot. And if the jump shot, if the guard can get there, like they're supposed to, they can contest that jumper. So that's what we prefer to do. Now, we can also go under and still mirror with our post if we're having somebody that can really turn the corner and, and penetrate and kick. Um, the other thing we can do on the wing, especially we can ice in that position. It changes nothing that the posts have to do. So now we've gone three different three different ball screen defenses and the post hasn't had to do anything different. And that's a nice uh, thing for us because it still allows us to play to our strength. I'm curious with that mirror then is, is uh, you have a preferred level of distance from the screen. Um, do you modify that based on certain personnel? So if we know we're going to see a pick and pop, then we will mirror higher to get back to the pop. Um, or if we know that this person's coming off and they're shoot, they can make jumpers. We may mirror higher just to show them a contest and maybe give the guard an extra step, extra second to get there to guard. Um, So we adjust that. Um, I would say, you know, maybe five games, we have to make that adjustment. And then curious, you talked about the guard, especially as a preferred method of going over top. Is there, is there any special technique that you found their wording or phrasing that really helps them? Cause that is ultimately the challenge. Bite your man, not the screen. 
Good one. Into, you're not winning. You're not winning the battle against the screener. You're not getting through her. But if you get up and you have to show your hands, but if you get up tight to your man, show your hands, fight your man, and then you can get over the screen. That's typically um, the best thing. And it's so funny because early on, I'm telling you, they, you know, you tell them to fight over, fight over, fight over. And that's just the last thing they want to do. They don't want to do that. And they want to, you know, they end up going under, under. But then after a while, and I don't know if it's like a career thing for them or if it's a late in the season thing. The end of the year, I'll, we may be playing somebody that can do, that can really use that ball scan. And I'll tell our guards, hey, at this point, they have a pretty good feel. All season long, they go to under some, over some. And I'll tell them, you, you make the choice. You decide over or under, but you got to get there. You know, whatever it is, you, you've got, you make that decision. And 90% of the time, they're going to fight over because they've learned and they've gotten good at it. And that's where they're comfortable. So they, they like, they like fighting over better than going under most of the time, which is, which is funny because when you initially teach it, that is, oh, that's, they, they do not like it. It's hard, but at the end of the day, that's what they want to do. Well, that's the ultimate coaching, isn't it? When you make it seem like their idea now. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's like the perfect thing. You just, yeah. Um, I don't know what, do, do you think you should go over and over? You think? <laughs> I think that's a great decision. Right, let's try that. Let's see how that goes. Coach, I'm sarcastic too. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm bad. That's my advice. I don't cuss. I don't cuss our players. Uh, not that make, that makes you a bad person. It's just not who I am. But I will. I will admit to being sarcastic. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Uh, and then uh, on top, uh, similar philosophy in terms of the mirroring. So the post isn't doing anything different on top. So um, typically, we will do the same. Um, I think it's a lot easier for. Um, post players and to keep things consistent with your team as much as possible. Um, depending on where the ball is, the guards may end up going under a little bit more. A horn set, um, I don't know if we've done this as much here at Tennessee, but a lot of times on a horn set, depending on where it is, if it's at the three-point line, a lot of times we'll take our post and lock up and let the guards just slide under on that ball screen. And why do we like that? Because typically if we see a horn set, we're going to, it's, there's going to be some action for the post players, either the roll, the high, low, um, just some different action for our post. So what that does, if we go ahead and lock them up and we get physical, it takes away an easy early roll. And then they're, they don't have us in as good a position uh, in the post. We've, we've got them pushed out a little bit more. Uh, more of a curious question as I prepared. Um, your top 50 defense, obviously, man to man wise, excellent percentage and everything like that. But you were also excellent with zone and you seem to mix it in enough, like I think at 10.5% of the possessions. So I'm just curious the philosophy there, being so good defensively with man, but you mixed in enough zone to be really good with it too. Yeah, man, I wanted to do man. That, that, that's not no pun intended. I wanted to do more zone. I wanted to play a little bit more zone, but um, I I don't give in to it and I don't practice it enough, uh, to be honest with you. I'm, I, I love my man and I work more on man because I always am so critical of it. Oh, we got to get better at this. So we got to practice it, you know, and then it comes time. I'm like, ah, we need to play more zone. You know, um, I think we were pretty good with zone uh, as a nice change up. I, I thought um, we were selective when we played it and it made sense. Um, 
Um, was it a feel or more you went into games knowing that zone would be good with this team or was it more? Both, yeah. Both. There were times we went in, we're like, we got, we have to play zone. I'm, I'm, there have been games I'm going in, we are going to have to play zone to not come out of it. We won no zone at all. I'm like, oh. We've but, all been there. <laughs> you know, or going into a game, not thinking there's no way we can play zone. You have to play zone and it helped, you know, so um, it's just pulling the trigger and the, and, and sometimes it's it's the stats that we have. Hey, we've just been scored on three times in a row. We have to make a change. Or we played we played zone. They scored, but it was only in transition. Was tried again, you know. So we're just trying to figure it out on the fly. I, and I, and throughout the years, I've played different zones, um, different things that. And that's where if if because it's not our primary defense, I think this is where it's important to find the right fit to find the right defense that's going to be the most comfortable, the, the most easy, the most seamless to run without a lot of practice. Mm-hmm. We're, and don't get me wrong, we're still going to practice it. But in terms of the amount of time spent, it's not even a comparison to our man-to-man. Um, so we try to find, when we are in, in zone, we try to find tendencies and teaching points that are man-to-man principles, you know, to try to help them uh, – make that seamless but also uh, what we found last couple years is giving them less rules zone and then just letting them figure it out uh what don't ask me what if no 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 no. because i cannot give you all the answers you know um so letting them kind of work through and figure out some things well it speaks to your defensive culture which is kind of my next question which may be a two-part question but like how do you create this defensive culture uh practice emphasis etc uh, and then, well, let's, let's answer that first. What you know, because clearly if you're playing both sides, you're playing zone and you're playing man and they're playing it well, they have a defensive culture. I think we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we, when those moments, when, when those opportunities to drive home, that defense is a big deal. We've utilized that for instance, you know, we've had some we had some games this year, some big time games that we won and our offense was poor. And we will come back in and talk to them. Hey, if you don't score, you got to figure it out defensively. We can win with our defense. And so you, you can te- you can tell them this all summer. But when you have an opportunity to say, hey, here is a real world example. This is what happened. It's a little bit more believable. And um, I think we had we had that uh, in, in terms of uh, teaching points. We had that this year a lot. We had it a little bit last year. We had it a lot this year. And so we were playing. This is a funny story. So the other day we were playing a team versus staff uh, wiffle ball game. Okay, and and this was I don't know what we we were thinking, but we went out there. We had you know 15 people on each team. Well, everybody decided to play. So there's like 15 people in the field. Well, you cannot hit with a wiffle ball. You can't find, you can't score, right? There's and no space. So, there's no space. So we ended up, oh, okay, y'all, we're going to have to have subs. I had to figure it out. But it was a 0-0 game for like six innings. And I remember walking off the field, um, switching, uh, and one of our players told their teammates, Hey y'all, if we can't score, we just got to guard. We just got to defend. We just got to defend. And they were serious. And I was like, that's good. I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, so they, they bought in so much that they've transitioned it to wiffle ball. 
that is the greatest compliment as a coach, isn't it? When they start speaking the language or the culture or whatever it is and applying it themselves. Yes. Oh, that is. You're absolutely right. When you're in practice and you hear them verbalizing um, the little words that you use. And that's the, what we worked on. And now it's working. Techniques and the um, when they're repeating your phrases, that's when you're like, got it. Got it. And or, you know, hey, uh, they'll, they'll come in and w- when they take ownership and they're, hey, I watched this team play last night. I like this play. Can I show it to you? Um, they're not trying to coach. They're just being involved and accountable and responsible. And I think that's, I think that's really cool. Love it. Especially when they apply it to wiffle ball games too. Uh, applying that to the offensive side of the, the ball, maybe coach that question. What would be some phrases that you'd want them to be saying on the offensive side of games to validate what you're teaching and how you're doing things? Um, well, we like to play with pace. Um, we want to get the ball inside. There's no doubt about it. And we talk about getting the ball inside, whether that's a pass or a drive. When we get the ball to the paint, we are so much better. And um, our our players really believed in that this year. And, um, you know, part of it was because of necessity. We did not shoot the ball as well as we need to. But part of it was just, you know what, if you can get in there and get two points in the paint, let's go get two points in the paint. That's hard to guard. And, um, you know, look there first. Uh, And those were the high percentage shots for us, Um, whether that was getting ourselves to the free throw line, post passes. um, And then for us, rebounding is such a big deal. It is it is our it's in our DNA here at Tennessee. And if we don't if we don't rebound on either both ends of the court at an elite level, we're not going to win at an elite level. You referenced that in an interview a little bit when uh, I think a reporter asked you about your three-point shooting. And, and your point was just that. It's like, well, we're so good getting it inside to a certain extent. It's not just because we're bad three-point shooters. We just have an advantage here too, <laughs> yeah. which is the bigger advantage ultimately. Right, right. I think, you know, if we're just going to come out and shoot threes all day, oh, okay. But I don't, well, my God, why do I have six, seven out there? Why do I have a guard that can get all the way to the basket and, and finish um, in contact. So we want to try to utilize all of our strengths. And I think in order, we, we've got to start in the paint. You've got to start the, the play in the paint. And I think, I think our spacing was a little bit better this year offensively to be able to give us some opportunities. So, you know, as we continue to, to grow as a, as a team offensively, um, I, I think, you know, hopefully you'll see shooting percentages go up. Uh, from behind the three, but also we still have to have that balance. I, I think for us and who we are, I think you've got to have the the scoring balance inside, outside drives, kickouts, just a lot of different variety of ways scores. I truly don't know the answer, and you might not either. But I know at the professional level, they reference uh, you know top five defense and top five offense to be able to win a championship type of mentality. Is that a similar thing in the NCAA women's game to be able to win your conference and to be able to obviously progress in the NCAA tournament? Well, I think one of the things that we do, and I don't have it in front of me right now, but, um, you know, every year we're statting on the top teams in, in the country and where they're at. Um, where are the last five or six years final four team stats? Where are they at? Um, not not because you have to do it that way. You don't have to. It doesn't have to be exactly like other teams, but you got to be in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a good uh, indicator of where you are, where 
not necessarily deficiencies in terms of your team, but deficiencies to win a national championship. You know, I think that's what, you know, we're, we're trying to clean up and find every possible advantage or, and, um, or understanding, okay, if we are a little deficient in this area, then we've got to find ways to make up for it in another area. So, you know, finding that give and take. Uh, it's, it's really kind of a recruiting question, but more so focused on what you, what you would do. So you have the opportunity to be able to recruit, say, a top five defender or a top five offensive player. Who at this point for your program are you recruiting? The offensive player. Yeah. We can teach him that. <laughs> Thanks for your honesty, coach. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and it's not, it's not the glamour and the way, and it's not that I don't love a kid that can go out and defend, but the, the problem is right now, if you can't score your liability mm-hmm. and, and that's, fact that's exactly where we are right now if you can't score your liability and is it so, easier to hide a bad defender now than a bad yeah, offensive player for sure for sure because a bad offensive player is going to end up with the ball every single time you know you're just like ah and it and that hurts your other players um hurts your teammates it hurts spacing it hurts opportunities somebody's going to get double teamed now um and then defensively if you're if you're a, a not a great defensive player if, but if you'll be in the right spot and you will play hard, we'll be okay with that. You know, you may be deficient with maybe, maybe you're not the quickest, maybe you can't guard one on one, but if you will do those things, do the, do what we ask you to do at the best of your ability and really, really try, then we'll, we'll figure it out. Coach, so many nuggets. Thank you for sharing all these insights and everything that goes with it. And uh, obviously incredible success everywhere you've been. I'm curious now, because we're in the off season, what are some of the things that you're doing to evaluate your defense and uh, to make it even better? Yeah, I think, you you know, you have um, obviously the eye test and you have um, stats that, that can back you up and that's individual or team. But also I think for us just kind of assessing who we are and who we're going to be and what are our strengths going to be defensively? And then how do we take those things and merge them together with our philosophy? And uh, so, for instance, for example, we uh, we will have more depth this year than we have ever had, and we're going to be able to play a lot of people. And to do that effectively and, and most efficiently, we probably want to play at a higher pace defensively than we played. So that might mean more pressing. It might mean more denying um, in some areas that maybe we haven't done in the past, but being a little bit more active and um, aggressive and 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 pace defensively as well. So without taking away from our philosophy, I think that's one of the things that we can do. Awesome stuff, coach. Thank you so much for sharing the game with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the basketball podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at immersionvideos.com. At immersionvideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, We've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to ImmersionVideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at ImmersionVideos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, 
subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.